everybody. Welcome back. It's a new, new, new episode of Terry's Talking, our new podcast here at Cleveland.com. I'm David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com, joined as always by Terry Pluto, award-winning sports writer and columnist for the Plain Dealer in Cleveland.com. Terry, it's a crazy time of year. You know how this goes. Every time you get into late September, into October, November, it's like the craziest two and a half months of the year. How are you holding up here? Got Cavs starting up, Indians ending, Browns going, Ohio State. It's nuts. All right. A year ago, around this time, I vowed I would never complain about being too busy. Because (laughs) if you remember, we had no sports. True. To the point of, um, I know I did a commentary on WKSU about it. And I think I even wrote a column about watching Korean baseball. It was that bad. The KBO. Put it so, all in perspective, doesn't right. it? Right. And remember, yeah. we didn't know who was going to play when. Or I mean, the NB, the NFL was saying we're going to play, and, and then baseball's playing in this weird schedule. So look, I'm glad it's all together. And the blessing that my sport or my job rather is, uh, I'm not married to any sport. It's kind of like going to the. Um, supermarket am i going to be a vegetarian or am i going to eat meat today or whatever i want to do or just gorge on sweets it's all available to me yep that's one of the fun parts of uh being in the job you're in so so interestingly enough one place you were on monday there was a baseball game played at progressive Mm -hmm. field on monday afternoon it was the royals and the indians and the game had no playoff implications but you were there along with what with 12 12 13 they had 13,000, right? which was a good crowd because it was a makeup for the previous Wednesday night. They had sold 11,000 tickets for that night. So that's what probably what they were going to get. Furthermore, they offered all those fans a chance to go to any of the remaining weekend games, even just to wait till Monday afternoon. And a number of them did. But for some reason, I think the weather was nice and uh, people just decided, you know, I'm going to go out. I'm going to wear my Indians gear. And I just. It wasn't a real angry crowd or whatever about it. There was a few people at a, a mock funeral service outside the stadium, but uh, for the name. But overall, I think they just wanted to come out one last time for that. Yeah, and it was interesting because that wasn't supposed to originally be the last game, home game as Indians. It was supposed to be the day before. Um, Actually, it's a good. It was like I think overall, David, you look at they drew a million one. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, this is COVID, all this stuff. It ranked 20th out of 32 teams in a season where you start with, remember at the end of last year, Chris Antonetti gave the most dire, gloomy economic picture I've heard of the end. I've heard some with the Indians. Remember, we're in debt for years. The payroll's going to be cut. You know, loans, he threw it all out there. And then you had the Lindor trade, which at the time, I'm, I'm sure we all knew Ahmad Rosario would be the best player in that deal. I mean, you, I think oh, a lot everybody of us, wrote that. Everybody, yeah, wrote. a lot of us are like Rosario and Jimenez and these kids and what else? I mean, I think that's where we all were. That'd be a player to be named later or something. That didn't go over well. And then you just had, um, you know, Carrasco was a popular player. He was traded. Uh, Brad Hand was their closer. They didn't keep him. They didn't keep Santana. You know, all these guys were ushered out. And so you knew they weren't going to be very good. At least I did. And I think most of the fans that way. way. The second lowest payroll, second youngest roster. And um, the name change. So this is almost like, let's just get through this year. I think that's how the Indians looked at it. Yeah. And Monday, I mean, from, from what it felt like to me, just from watching from afar, was that that Monday needed to happen. 
I right? do. T I agree. Like, and, and you wrote about this beautifully, I thought, in your column. It was a chance for everybody to show up and kind of say, all right, listen, we've had these great decades of memories with our families. And like it was a chance to just kind of, you know, quietly close the book cover on the on that chapter of, of franchise history. And it was now it's kind of been put in the past. And, you know, you're talking about the, the, the payroll and the team going forward like that for the fans, I think, was an important day. It was a Monday afternoon, an afternoon game, no implications, but it, it was an important day in the history of the franchise just to kind of move people along, kind of get them thinking about next season and a clean, fresh start, not just for the team on the field next year, but also for the fans. Did you get that sense when you were there? Yes, that absolutely. Way? On top of it, they played well. Um, that I think that mattered. And Rosario, for example, who is a big part of what they're going to do next year. They'll figure out where to play him, but he's going to play somewhere, had four hits. And uh, I just, and then they came out after and they waved at the fans and blue kisses. And I, I just thought it was nice. And when you think about the implications for them going forward, they're always going to battle for their fan base. They just, you know, it's a Brownstown. Um, the Cavs are, are pretty solid. Of course, David, or I'm sorry, uh, you know, Dan Gilbert has such an enormous financial empire. You know, he's always told me, even when he bought it, he would talk things like synergy and this is just part of the package. And, you know, he sometimes owns casinos and sells them and, you know, Quicken loans. He's got all this real estate in Cleveland and real estate in Detroit. Uh, whereas baseball here has always been a bit perilous to me, except maybe in the, in the nineties when they first moved into the new stadium. Uh, to progress a field, but growing up, David, I mean, there were rumors. They're going to New Orleans. They're going to Florida. Even before the Rangers went to, to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, they're going there. They were always that team that people thought they could go in and, and, and steal away. Yeah, and, and the, the the interesting thing you were talking about, the messaging from Chris Antonetti a little while ago, yeah. I, I was really interested to see the me the messaging has gone from, all right, this year is going to be tough. We're going to have to, we're going to have, we're not spending a lot. We got a lot of young players. And now the messaging, I think, is like, hey, there's hope. And, yes. and we've seen it on the field. And also beyond that, there was an interesting um, meme going around on people's phones. Some of the people from the unions that you talked to, uh, and I think it said, uh, relax next season were the guardians, not the Ravens. And it seems like, I think you wrote that Tom Hamilton had that on his phone and he showed it to you. And yeah. there, were, there were a number of Indians employees who kind of had, have embraced that as kind of the motto of the day. That and day. it wasn't the marketing department came up with a fan came holding that sign. They took a, they took a picture of him just in the, the concourse and it's bottom line is that's how I feel. And um, I was always for, like I can show you the first comment I wrote on changing how Chief Wahoo looked was 1996. So I was in that camp, uh, but I was I was in favor of keeping the Indians. I'm not going to open the debate again. But I got to the point. Okay, this is where history is going here. Um, the main thing to me was getting that lease done. When the lease got done, and I also believe that Paul Dolan was not going to change the team name and then move it. That would have been actually idiotic because if you're going to move it. Then you wait till you move and you change the name when you get there. Right. You don't change it. Now, you can tell the city you like it or not, you're the Guardians. But no, no, it just would have been really bad. And the Dolan family, you know, not only is like they're, you know, the name's going to be the Guardians, not the Ravens. These are the Dolans and not the Models. I mean, to be honest, they're not, they're not going to, they can't live here for five generations and, and have that on their legacy. So I felt 
that behind the name change was hope of a new lease and, and they got one. So if you were to look at this whole season, in ter- you know, let's on a scale of one to 10, in terms of how well things could have gone for the Dolans and, and Antonetti and the, and the baseball people, like in a scale of one to 10, how good did things go on all fronts? The name change, resetting the roster with the young core. How do you think they feel things have gone on a scale of one to 10? Not you, but how do you think they felt things? have? They probably feel an eight to a nine. And I'm somewhere around seven to eight on a scale of one to 10. Because if you were to tell me how little Savali and Bieber would pitch this year, you know, along with all that, I'm going, these guys going to lose 95 games. I mean, it's going to be really bad. And Polizak missed six weeks because he couldn't take his shirt off, right? No matter what they said, he took his shirt off and banged the bang, banged his thumb. So you take that out of, because they were going to build around those starters and then, you know, put those other guys in. You know, they're probably going to end up a little under 500 for the first time since 2013. But you found that they have young pitching coming. They have more behind that um they did find that bobby bradley will strike out a ton but just leave him in there he's going to hit 30 homers and they found a ahmad rosario is the ahmad rosario at 287 with 15 homers and with the mets in 2019 that is in other words this this year didn't come out of nowhere for him he did it two years ago and on top of that his willingness to change positions how hard he plays you know, fits in with how they want to be. They found, which they didn't, never anticipated this, Miles Straw. They've been dying to have a center fielder they could put at the top of the lineup since Kenny Lofton, probably. I'm not saying as good as Lofton, but just you put that guy in there in the lineup in center field, and you don't think about it. Phil Maton, and I know this Yanni or Diaz kid in the minors is, is considered a decent prospect, but he's a Class A catcher. Fine. So that that's from a, a positive point of view. Now, you know, there's some other issues of, of things. What did somebody ask us a question about the name change versus the payroll? What was that? Let's, yeah. Let's we'll, go we'll, to that. We'll, okay. You want to go to it right now? Right, right now. Yeah. Cause it fits our theme. All right. So we'll do. Hey, Terry's toward the end of the podcast, but let's yeah. jump to this one right now from Matt Kincaid. He's wondering, are the guardians, it's going to take a while to get used to saying that. Are the guardians yeah. going to use the name change to bolster the payroll and make a big splash? I and mean, we've talked about closing the book starting a new chapter, new name, will the name change be a reason for them to kind of throw some money out there during, and get some free agents this offseason? What do you think? Well, Paul, Paul Dolan did say they're going to raise the payroll, but in terms of getting big-time free agents, no. I mean, they're at $50 million. I was told right now that it would take at least like $60 million to bring this roster back as it is, and I'm not sure if they included Roberto Perez's $7 million option in that or not. Um, I'm guessing not because reason why I think uh, Fred Mel Reyes becomes arbitration eligible, Bieber becomes arbitration eligible. You know, those guys always get big raises with that. I think Ahmad becomes arbitration eligible. So um, they get those guys payroll is going to go up, but I don't see it as they're going to go out and sign somebody for a ton of money. Um, and so that's, uh, um, you know, that's where they're at, but it's, it's far more upbeat in my mind than I thought it would be at the start of this year. All right. And I thought it was, uh, I just wanted to mention the ending of your column the other day. I thought it was really a good point. Like everybody has enjoyed the Indians memories of the past and there's more memories to be made. You know, it's like everybody can just 
know that going forward, the team is still here. There's going to be more memories, more great summer nights out there that people can enjoy. And I think that was, that was a good way to frame it. And I got a nice email from a guy. I wish I had it in front of me his name, but he said that um, he stopped going to Indians games when the name change was made, but he took his kids to Lake County and Akron. He went to minor league games, but he said, after reading that column, he said, what, why, why am I denying a chance for my kids to make memories, regardless of what the name of the team is, you know, cause what, I'm like the memories I have with my father going to games. Um, the team could have been called, you know, the the Cleveland, you know, crappies as in terms of the fish you catch or whatever walleyes. It wouldn't have mattered. It was about being there with my dad. Absolutely, yep. And people will be able to like that that emailer said have memories with their own kids. It's going to be it'll be something to look forward to. So. Yeah. All right, let's take a break, Terry. We'll come back. We're going to talk some Browns, some Cavaliers. We got some Hey Terry questions we'll get to. And I got a Hey Terry trivia question for you, Uh-oh. as usual. So I'm not going to stump you too bad. So okay. we'll be right back on Terry's Talking. All right, we're back on Terry's Talking. David Campbell joined by Terry Pluto, as always. Terry, you put out a call for Hey Terry questions this week on your Facebook page, and you always include kind of a quirky photo. And this week's photo was Justin Gilbert, which was a pretty far cry from where this Browns defense is now. And um, I got a I got a, a Gilbert trivia question for you later on. I want to see if you can get it. But oh um, so Sunday's game against the Bears. Was that a jump for the Browns defense in terms of starting to figure out who they are, what they can do? Um, the, the, the pass rush was incredible, obviously. So was that a jump for the defense? Terrible Bears coaching? You know, we've seen people in Chicago calling for Matt Nagy to be fired. Or, or was it both? What, what was your interpretation of what went down Sunday against the Bears? Three things. Going into the game, the Browns knew that the Bears' offensive line was really bad. That was on their scouting. I wrote about this in my game column. Number two, looking at um, how Fields played when he was put into the game the previous week, he seemed kind of scatter, scatterbrained, not sure what was going on. They didn't know what kind of offense would be run the following week, but it was very clear they had very little installed to help them and on the offensive side they 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 detected the bears are really good defense but they're very vulnerable to screen and short passes to running backs and that's why they exploited that with with cream hunt well all through three of those things came into play um and so it was an ideal setup for the browns defense to begin to get their pass rush to get healthy have some fun get out there um but when you consider david going this week up to Minnesota. Kirk Cousins has been sacked five times in three games. He's got eight touchdown passes, zeros, interceptions. You see the offense they're running because this is that Minnesota offense is here. Uh, That's a much bigger test to me. But one thing I do look at when you're playing a team that's very vulnerable and you don't take advantage of their weaknesses, you have even bigger problems and you did going into that game. And the Browns certainly exploited all those problems that the Bears had. 
Yeah, and it's amazing. And uh, Mary Kay Cabot, our colleague, has written a lot about this too. But um, the the way the Texans used running backs to chip Miles Garrett, yeah. they would double team him with a tight end occasionally. But I think it was more running backs than tight ends double teaming and then going out into going out into a pattern. For the Bears not to use any of that yeah. was just it was like coaching malpractice. I thought, and and, and it's, it's and he's been... throwing from the pocket. Yeah, it, they just gave him the the Andy Dalton plays. And anybody who saw Justin Fields plays, played Ohio State knows how, what he does. He holds on to the ball. And so as a coach, you have to know that. And you're like, all right, we're going to get the ball out of your hand. We're going to move you a little bit. And they didn't do anything to help. The him guy out. should be – seriously, the guy should be fired. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. kid, um, you, you invested a lot in drafting him high. And you couldn't put some plays in to put him on the move. I think about when – I'm not saying Fields is Lamar Jackson, but remember in the middle of that season a few years ago when the Ravens and Harbaugh switched from the statue-like Joe Flacco to Lamar Jackson. They did it over a bye week, and they rolled out an entirely new offense in 10 days. So you couldn't put in four or five new plays in a week? Well, not only that, but they've had since April when they drafted him to have. Things. I know, and right, you should know who he is. You got big money in this guy, but I do know the Bears had some. I mean, sorry, the Ravens had some stuff for Lamar, but not a ton because they were they thought they could win with Flacco at that point, um, and it wasn't like Lamar is in here. You know, no, they were going to have Lamar. Remember, he's a low first round pick. It was kind of a down the line selection, but this is totally opposite. Nonetheless, it was great to see not only Miles have a field day, but um, to see Clowney active. Um, you see the speed of uh, Delpit and JOK. Um, Harrison, who's a good, who can be a really good player. This was kind of the, the defense that Andrew Barry envisioned when he was putting everything together, was just the speed all over the field. Yeah, and that game wouldn't have been as – I mean, I don't think – Baker Mayfield would admit he didn't have his best day either. He missed no. some throws early. They could have been up a lot – it could have been a lot more out of hand a lot earlier. Keep um, this in mind about Kevin Stefanski and the way he runs that offense. He controls the game sometimes with his offense. You know, keeps the ball out there longer, uh, keeps his defense off the field. That It's just like some people say, had Tyrod Taylor not got hurt in that Houston game, they could have lost. I don't believe that. I think they were going to score whatever it took – to win that game, but they kept control of it. And that's just, that's just their style. Yeah. So Kevin Stefanski returning to Minnesota where he was, he kind of earned his coaching stripes um, over the last decade. Plus what are you expecting to see Sunday? It's going to be on the road. That's a tough place to play in a loud crowd. Uh, It's going to be a really fascinating game. And yeah, right. Indoors. Um, If anybody knows Kevin Stefanski, it's the coaches in Minnesota. Um, What are you expecting to see this Sunday at one o'clock? Yeah, it is one of those, um, you know, Zimmer's defense, which boy play against Stefanski's offense and practice all the time. Remember that. So they really do know each other. Um, I'm really worried about this game, David. I This game bothers me a lot because of the Dome, because of Cousins, um, because the Browns' defense is still so new uh, to each other. When you're playing in a very loud, a very loud environment, that's where familiarity comes into play, and that's where if you're not, you're jumping off sides, you're blowing assignments. So I want to see how they react to this. And I'm not if they 
turn around if they lose or even if they win, but the defense has a bad game. I'm not going to panic about that either. I just think it's, it really is, boy, I hate the cliche work in progress, but if there still is some progress and they still got a lot to work on, I'm good with that. Even if they're two and two coming out of the first four. I guess it depends on how it, you lose 42 to 12, you know, then it's different, but I, I, I just, I have tremendous confidence in the coaching staff and I have tremendous confidence in the, um, just the lack of drama around the team. I was very pleased with how Odell played. Now let's see how he holds up by the way, David, you know, mm-hmm. that's a big deal. <laughs> I thought he was out there for too many snaps. I didn't realize I was, was it 52 or something? Yep. Wow. Yeah. And you could see, I mean, he admitted he was exhausted by the end, of but there, there's, a, there's a big difference between running training camp plays and, and playing in a game. The, the tempo yes, of is completely course, different. Of so. course it is. And you know, he hasn't been hit. So yep. he finally got hit and they, and the bears will hit you. Now that's, let's, let's say that about the bears. The bears will hit you. Um, they did show that, you know, Jedrick Wills and Hans, they were, they were attacking that left tackle spot and it did not hold up well. So that'll be something to watch Sunday too, whether Wills is in there or not. Um, he's clearly with that ankle injury, uh, not the, uh, he's not close to what he should be. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see if the Browns decide to rest him and try and get him back yeah. close to 100% or if, they are, if they're just going to tell him to gut it out. So we know offensive linemen and the way they think, I, I would expect to see him out there. He'll probably try to guys play, to but, miss. but I also would keep an eye on him. If it doesn't look good, just get him out, put Blake Hansen there and, and, and put him on ice, literally with that ankle. I'm, I'm just fascinated by this because uh, I, I want to really want to watch – remember, Cousins was pretty good but he really exploded when he went to Minnesota as a quarterback. Baker was, you know, pretty good back in 19. I'm going to throw 20 out. And then he was okay. The first half of last year. And then he exploded with this offense. So that says it's not just Stefanski, you know, it's that whole thing going back to the Shanahan father and son and all those kind of where those guys always had thousand yard rushers. And just it's such a nice offense to run with the zone blocking scheme. There's a lot to look forward to. Yeah, it should be a good matchup. Sunday, 1 o'clock kickoff again up in Minneapolis, and uh, we'll be talking about that one next week. Hey, so let's move to the Cavaliers, Terry. Uh, Media day was Monday, and the Cavs seem like they have playoff aspirations, and they think this is kind of a new beginning for them. You buying this? They're going to be any better this year in your mind? You could be better and still not make the playoffs because I think it's incremental. I just don't see a – it's what they have been for the last few years. Interesting pieces that don't necessarily fit in a league where your best players with, yes, there's some little guys that are really you know dynamic around six foot, six foot one, but generally they're between six foot four and six foot nine. And they're very athletic. Other than uh, Okoro, the Cavs don't even have hardly anybody that size who will start. That bothers me, you know, but, we're going to play with six foot guards and seven foot forwards. It's, it's just strange to, to see that. I'm trying so, to think of another team that, that had success with that kind of an approach. And it's just, you see more of the, you see more of the other thing where teams are playing with a lot of guys who can move up and down. Yes. Uh, instead of a, just this big chasm in between, in between. Yeah. In fact, 
I'll dial all the way back to when I covered the Cavs in the late 80s and early 90s. And they uh, traded for Larry Nance and what senior, not junior. And they were planning to start Nance, Hot Rod, and Brad Doherty, six foot 10 to seven foot across the front line. And back then is when they had, they had Elo and uh, uh, at least they had a six foot five guard and Elo in the backcourt along with Mark Price. What they discovered is there was some rough matchups with that. They ended up starting, whether some years it was Winston Bennett, another year, they found these Mike Sanders, they found these journeymen, six foot six type small forwards to fill in. And then sometimes at key parts of the game, they throw go with the big front line. But they discovered whether it was Larry Nance or Hot Rod Williams chasing a athletic six foot six guy around for 30 some minutes was not a good idea. So they put the three big guys into two spots, power forward and center, and then just would flip it out for six or eight key minutes of the game to help them with that. But that was one of the other, along with Michael Jordan, when they played the bulls, the other problem was Scotty Pippen. They just didn't have anybody to really guard him. And it's kind of, it's kind of like a pitcher eating innings in baseball, isn't it? You need somebody yeah. who can eat up those minutes on the court and guard a guy like that with all the running and, and going through picks and everything. Right. And they would just yeah. tell these guys, this journeyman guy, we don't care if you score or not, just chase this guy, wear him down. Um, so that, that's one, when you talk about making a playoffs, they have to find um, another wing player. Now maybe they make a trade and get somebody or, or who knows, Um now, there's some natural growth that comes in with young players when they all come in at 19. In fact, my newest theory is unless a guy is an elite player, you know, like Jean Morant or, 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 or somebody like that, um, you almost can't look at that rookie year very seriously at 19. You know, Sexton was a mess. He started to play well towards the end of his rookie year. Uh, Garland was a disaster. He couldn't get healthy. He couldn't guard anybody. He didn't know where shots were. Wasn't strong. And then, wasn't strong. Then you look at where they were in their second year. And then you look where Sexton went in the third year. So actually I thought of, of the three, Okora had the best rookie year uh, in my mind. So I'm encouraged about him going forward. Not that he's a great offensive player or whatever, but also I think physically came in the league stronger. So you see these, these players, just like Evan Mobley coming in, it's going to be hard for him at 19 he's thin i saw some of the uh rookie league games on tv and he was getting pushed around now he has some skills and all that but it's just it's just really hard so there will be some natural growth with the other guys but in Markin is a you know seven foot he's athletic he can score but is he good defensively you know i i mean i'd rather have laurie nash jr i really just would yeah well i i I think Larry Nance is the, and we've talked about this. He's the kind of player who solves a lot of problems. Yeah. They don't really have anybody like that right now. So, so let's talk about Larry Nance. So um, the, the trailblazers where Larry Nance jr. Now plays had media day the other day. And I, when I heard this, I couldn't help think about Kevin love. It kind of made yeah. me, made me think of what it would be like to hear Kevin love um, his thoughts on this, but Larry Nance during media day out in Portland this week, he said, Portland's the type of place that I feel like I fit in more. And everybody knows uh, Nance is an Akron native and was from here and has a long history with the Cavaliers. He said, Ohio is a little bit behind in the times, whereas Portland is progressive and very forward thinking. And I love that. And all I could think when I heard that was, all right, Kevin Love is in Cleveland. Kevin Love is from Portland, and he would probably love nothing better than to go back to his hometown, play for a, a championship contending team 
and live in his hometown. And instead, the guy who's from Northeast Ohio got traded there, and now he's talking about how much he loves Portland. <laughs> By the way, said, can, can they trade the Kevin Law for Larry Nance Jr.? <laughs> <laughs> we want him, we want backsies on no. that one. But I mean, um, you know, it, I will say fans, this: I'm, yeah, Terry fans yeah. are going to say like, "Hey, there's like 31.2 million reasons yeah. not to feel sorry for Kevin Love," but still, it was a little bit of a weird twist there. What did you think of all that? All right, a couple of things. One is Larry probably didn't have to go as deep into Portland. He could have been really nice about Portland and left the part out about the hometown and just say, I'll always, I always love where I grew up. And that's it, you know, because I think we're all here a little bit feeling like we're flyover country and we're not hip enough or what, you know, that, that kind of hits that he could have left that alone. But I, I do know Larry Nance's heart and his family, and I'm not too worried about that. The love thing's fascinating. Number one is, I have found it impossible to believe that never at any point was there some at least cursory discussion between the Cavs and Love's agents about a buyout. You know, they'd say there hasn't been, okay, that's their story. They're sticking to it. He's still here. You know, the Cavs would love to trade him. That's what they would love to do. You know, Kevin, if he really, really, really wants out, you pressure your agent to take a big buyout. His agent has negotiated buyouts. He did it for Blake Griffin. He did it for um, Drummond. And he did it for Marcus Aldridge just last year. Uh, so let's not pretend this agent that he never does buyouts. He does buyouts. You know, a buyout is this. Kevin Love has $60 million on his contract. For example, a buyout would be, all right, the Cavs will pay you $50 million or 45 million. And in exchange for that, you are now a free agent able to sign for whoever you want. In other words, the buyout is uh, I'm giving up some money to become a free agent right now, instead of two years from now, or instead of being tied to whatever team I would be traded to. Um, now they may not want to do that. Players don't like to give up money. Agents don't like to give up money, but that's one way if you wanted to go to Portland or somewhere to, to do it. You know, secondly on love, what do we hear? This is the same thing for four years now. We just need to get him healthy, you know, get him out on the court. He could do so much for us. But the fact is he hasn't been healthy for four years. Why would he be healthy now uh, for any length of time? And then remember the whole debacle with the Olympic team where he said he was healthy, went out there, and he wasn't close to being in shape. Yeah, and that was supposed to be kind of like a uh, an audition for him, yes. so that he could show other teams what he could do, and it, it really it really fell apart very quickly. Yeah, the him. idea was he'd get out there with all these other really good players, he'd have a good Olympic performance, then good teams who are in the playoffs say, "Man, look at how he played with those good players." He, he you know, he, the the infamous stretch four, he can make those long shots, he get some rebounds. Uh, let's go get him. But then he couldn't even really get past the second game or whatever it was. And it, it, it was a real setback for him. Well, I'm sure this is uh, there's going to be two big storylines that we'll be following all season. One is the Kevin Love saga, and the other one is the quest for a wing. <laughs> and how they're going to yeah, right. That. So we'll... and, and you know, now that said, I like you know, Sexton is a score. He plays so hard, and he can score. And he is an efficient scorer, you know, even though you remember some of his turnovers and things, you look at his numbers, the guy shoots 48%, he can make threes, that kind of thing. Garland, to me, is has a chance, I'm not saying to be an all-star, 
but a well above average point guard. He can pass, he can make three pointers, he's smart, and he learned how to adjust from his first to second year. Okoro, I'm encouraged about, you know, he's the guy that likes to play defense and that. So I like those parts. Um, you know, Mobley, I'll have to wait. It's just a really tough uh, place for a young rookie. Uh, I always hate to say young rookie, but he is not just a normal rookie. Like what I'm used to is 21 or 22 year olds. He's 19 year olds and, and he's tall and thin and this, it's going to be a challenge for him. Markin is at a key part of his career where, you know, he is considered a talented guy, but he's considered to be soft. And he considered to be also a guy that just wants to score and not particularly interested in defense. Now he can change that here. And then he Cleveland and Chicago had a lot of common themes. They kept firing and coaches over there too. And so people that drafted them, people that first coached them, they were long gone. New guys were not invested in him. And so there you go. So now he's gets a fresh start. So we'll see. Well, the Cavs seem to like what Mobley's done so far, and they say he's a really fast learner. So maybe he can get up to speed That'll quickly. help. So, yeah, Seriously, will, for sure. You're, you're right, David. That's correct. That will help him a lot because he's going to have a lot to learn. I don't mean to be sarcastic, but that'll help. Yep, yep. All right, let's do some Hey Terry's. You ready? All right. So you posted a picture of Justin Gilbert playing against the um, <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers back in the day. Uh, Jack he's O'Hara chasing said, a guy, hitting a, catching a, he's like within about 10 feet of a guy catching a, a pass over his head. So Jack Obora wrote you back on Facebook and said, I didn't know Justin Gilbert ever made the field. So I just thought I would throw that in there. It was, unfortunately a, he did. We, have, we have photographic evidence of it. Yes. So, all right. So let's take a few questions here. Um, this one's from Christy Stefanik. We talked a lot about Richard Higgins and we know he's yeah. one of your favorite players. Hey, Terry, I know you're a fan of Rashard Higgins, and I, and I think many of us would love to see him get more targets, especially with Jarvis out for now. Baker and Higgs seem to have chemistry. Freddie Kitchens in particular seemed averse to playing Higgs in 2019, <laughs> despite, despite 2018 being a productive year for him. Last week, he was out there for 40 snaps and had two targets, both caught. I know the current Browns have more viable targets than in the earlier years of Hollywood's time in Higgins, but still what's up with the lack of targets. Could you be the one to unravel this mystery? And again, that's Christina Stefanik from Columbus. They've, they've now empowered Baker to throw the ball to whoever he wants to throw it to whenever that is. There was a attempt to get Odell into the action, but I don't think it was overly forced, but he did have nine targets, I believe. Um, so, but in other games, you look at, I think the previous game, the highest anybody had was five targets. So they really are just spreading it around. You know, Donovan People Jones is a good, I think he's got a chance to be a good receiver, David. I mean, just did you see those catches, a couple of catches on the sidelines? Oh, yeah. He's got a huge catch radius, too. Yeah. And he's strong. And, you know, Schwartz now has faded some after that first game. So they just have a lot. And besides, if you want to run the ball, there's just not that much to go around. So, um, I know this, you throw it to Higgins, he'll catch it. And that's, and we looked at the stats last week. He doesn't run a lot with it after he catches it, but you, like you said, you know, he's going to get it every time. It's third and eight. He runs a 10 yard pattern. You throw it to him. He catches it first down. All right. Next question is from Jake Wilkoff. And as you know, Terry, Cleveland Browns fans, favorite hobbies are cheering for the Browns and cheering for whoever's playing the Steelers. So here's a Steelers question for you. Hey, Terry, do you think Tomlin and Big Ben can turn around the Steelers season and right the ship? Or are they going to continue with this downward spiral? And that's from Jake. He's living in Chicago, but he's from Chagrin Falls or formerly of Chagrin Falls. So what do you think of the Steelers? 
I, if I were Tomlin, I would bench Ben right now and go to Mason Rudolph. I just think you've seen enough of Ben. It's over. Um, and then start to build with Mason and whatever you want to do in the future. But dragging Ben out there, I think it was a ownership decision to bring him back. They didn't want to deal with the contract consequences. Well, the consequences now is you, you've got a, a very, very disintegrating quarterback in front of you. And that will be interesting to me because I think Tom one at some point in the near future is going to say, look, I just don't like how this is going. If I'm going to lose, I'd rather lose with, and not that Mason Rudolph is that good, but I think he's got more, I don't know. What, David, you really like football. If you had to win tomorrow's game, would you play Mason Rudolph or Ben Roethlisberger? Well, let me put it this way. There's a lot of – you watch the Steelers game and you can see what Ben Roethlisberger does, but there's a lot of video clips floating around this week of Ben Roethlisberger throw, Ben Roethlisberger, where people condensed all Ben Roethlisberger yeah. throws into one take. And if you watch those back-to-back-to-back, it is ugly, really yeah. ugly. And last year, all we heard about the Steelers was, oh, they don't have, they can't run the ball. They don't have a good running back. James Conner was hurt. And so now they draft Najee Harris and they got a good running back and he's having a good start to the season. And now I think that that takes one of the excuses away. I think you're right. And I think they, they're going to need to think about something here. If, if they lose, lose another game or two and start to see the division really slipping away, I think you're right. I think they might make that change. Uh, I, you know, I've, we've seen Mason a couple of times and, you know, forget the, the, fight stuff or whatever he's got some talent um by the way you know a guy who liked mason rudolph in the draft not in the first round or whatever liked him like it's a third round pick or something was andrew barry oh is that right uh-huh mm. okay it's a long story how i know that but he, he thought he was f- pretty decent this is way back when you know in the before he played an nfl game i i know that all right let's stick with the browns here this one is from steve brown and he asks Hey, Terry, why do teams always defer on the opening coin flip of a game? This is where it's hard to believe analytics include coin flips. But, you know, the idea being that the, the assumption is if I defer somehow or other, I will end up with the last possession of the first half. And I guess maybe there's some numbers to show this. Then I'm going to score on that possession. So therefore, it sets me up, for, as they call it, two for one to get the kickoff to start the second half, and I score again. That's yeah. the thinking. So sometimes it always, I yeah. say I'd rather just have the ball. Yeah, I think every team does it different, but deferring does seem to be the default decision. Now, it makes me crazy when I'm watching a game, and it'll be yeah. the last two minutes of the first half. And the announcers will say, oh, well, they're not going to try and do anything here because they're getting the opening kickoff of the second half. Well, and I'm like, well, the difference? Well, well, why don't you try and score now and score? Yeah. Then? Like, isn't that the yeah. whole idea? So that they're, actually they're was the out. idea of deferring, but now they get into that. Yeah. But yeah. that is the idea. But I, I would really, based on my team and the opponent, whether like when the Browns are really bad, sometimes it seemed like they got behind in the game, and but they a- actually were not so bad on their first possessions because they'd have it scripted. I would go crazy. My friend Munch Bishop, same thing. We'd go, let's just give us the ball. We're not going to win anyway, but maybe we get out ahead, you know? So get if you, we well, got Phil Dawson, maybe get a field goal out of this. Yeah. So speaking of Phil Dawson, if you, def- if you defer in the first half, in the second half, you get to decide to take the ball and your yeah. opponent decides what side of the field they want to defend. 
So yes. you wouldn't gain any advantage by being able to have the, uh, the wind in the fourth quarter or anything like that. So that's not even part of it. So anyway, we'll have to, we'll have to right. find out. It, yeah. yeah, that's a good point, David, because you do, in effect, um, give up the weather. I remember there was a game. Remember the, the Browns played two of those games in terrible weather, Vegas, and I forgot what the other game was last year. Uh, but in one of them, they ended up, I mean, basically trying to score into a blizzard. It might've been the Vegas game because of the way uh, that point coin flip and uh, choose your field uh, played out. Yeah. It's, and, and that all factors in um, anyway, fascinating stuff. We'll have to see if we can find some numbers on that. Uh, let's go to the Indians. This one is from Gary Sattler. Hey, Terry, should the Indians slash guardian sign Jose Ramirez to a long-term deal? What are the chances of that happening? I would really try not a, Francisco Lindor, 10-year deal or not. He's got two years left on a contract. I try to put two or three more on there, roll it into five years for, you know, I don't know, 120 or something like that. See what he says. Big problem, David, labor agreement is up at the end of this year. Nobody knows what's going to look like. I don't anticipate anybody signing any big extensions until after that. The flip side is, though, if you're Jose and you think I'd like some money now and um, I don't know which way it's going to go. And they're putting, dropping 125 million down in front of me or something like that. Well, you know, that's a lot of money. Guaranteed. Or say, or say this, you're Shane Bieber. You've coming off an arm injury. Now Bieber, by the way, is represented by Drew Rosenhaus, the football agent. So I heard they got no traction last spring talking contract, but of course Bieber was coming off a side young year where he wasn't hurt. You know, now he's come back and I watched him the other night. He threw pretty well. Uh, his fastball was like 91, 92, a little bit below, but you know, the control is there. He's such a natural pitcher. Nonetheless, he did get hurt. By the way, ask Jake Westbrook, Corey Kluber, Carlos Carrasco, the last three pitchers that took big extensions from the Indians, ask him if they regret it. All three were very glad they did. Yep. Especially being a pitcher. Because they got hurt. Every day is borrowed, borrowed time in a lot of ways. So, um, all right. So, hey, Terry, we got like, uh, I've got Terry's trivia here at the end. Do you want to talk about your faith column this week? I know you were talking about yes. your office and marriage. Yes. And you're kind of looking yes. at uh, Somebody looking at asked me who just recently got married, said, um, was told about that. That's what I wished him well. And I said, well, Roberta and I just had our 44th anniversary a few weeks ago. He said, really? How did you do it? And I said, do you really want to know? And he, this is in the press box of the Browns. He said, yeah. And he sat down. We talked for 20 minutes. Suddenly I'm thinking faith column. So that's what you get, <laughs> including you'll get where you will find where uh, Terry is called to task on his wife on a part of his behavior that needed some work after 44 years. So that's coming <laughs> this weekend. All right. Well, uh, that'll be on cleveland.com on Saturday and then in the newspaper as well this weekend. So, all right, you ready for Terry's trivia? Yes. You've been getting these left and right. You know, this, is pro this is probably too easy for you. All right. So Justin Gilbert, who you put in your picture when you asked for questions, he was the Browns number eight over. He was the number eight overall pick by the Browns in the 2014 draft. The number one pick and the number two pick that year, both have played for the Browns. One of them's on the team right now. Can you guess who they are? And I can give you another hint if that would help. So we're looking for well, the I'm number going one, nowhere num with, number I'm one, going number, nowhere. number two overall pick in 2014. One 14. of them is a defensive lineman. 
Um, currently oh, on the Clown, team. Clowney, that's right. Clowney was it. Dave and Clowney was the number one yeah, overall that's right. Because I, I hated that whole draft, by the way. Yeah. Um, Teddy Bridgewater was my quarterback pick in that draft. I know that. And by the way, it also was Joe Banner's quarterback draft because of my Browns Blues book. Because uh, he told me this, by the way, after he got fired. So before the draft was even there, I called him up and he goes, well, our guy was, was Bridgewater. And when I had left, we had taken Manziel off the board. Well, so anyway, one of them's had a pretty good NFL career. So yes, but anyway, the, the uh, so Jadavian Clowney, number one of the Texans out of South what Carolina, was t- and number, number two, two is Greg Robinson, the offensive tackle out of Auburn for the Rams, who had a couple of years with the Browns before they let him go. About uh, oh, the infamous Greg Robinson. Greg Robinson. So anyway, the one who was, was driving across the Mexican border with duffel bags full of marijuana, wondering why he got busted. Yep. Yep. So that's the, these Greg things Robinson happen, tale. David, you know, it just, I was like, I mean, I don't even know how that happened, well, but I thought that was interesting. One, two and eight, all that wow. connection. So there you go. That's Terry's Boy, trivia this week. Wow. So. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? We good. What do you think? That is it more than enough. All right. So listen, everybody, if you want to write um, a Hey Terry question, you can send it to sports at cleveland.com or you can go to Terry's Facebook page and hit him up there. We'll try and use as many as we can on the podcast. And also, Terry will use the questions in his, in his Hey Terry column. So uh, be sure to engage with us there. We will catch you next week. And thanks as always for listening to Terry's talk and we'll see you soon and have a great week.